Our first reading comes from 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. You know, Jesus is going to be back any day now. And it feels that way, right? American Christians have been particularly feeling that way and particularly interested in how and when Jesus would return across our history. And we've also been particularly bold when we place our bets. I mean, there's no shortage of examples of prominent figures who made strong claims about the exact date, even sometimes the time, to only later find out they were, well, just plain old wrong. There's even a handful of traditions, entire denominations, that sprung forth around this idea that are still here. Even though Jesus said, we won't know the day or the hour, some preachers just can't help themselves and try to figure out what Jesus says they can't figure out. And those same preachers came up with a lot of other wrong ideas along the way to try to justify their wrong conclusions. And we'll circle back to a little bit of that near the end. For now, bear in mind that this sense that Jesus will be back any day now has been persistent for nearly 2,000 years. 
how adamantly people were convinced or how many Christians were concerned with it and that sort of thing. That's varied over time, again, being a particular concern in our American history. But there's always been at least some curiosity and concern about the subject. Now, if we go far enough back, like all the way back, as far back as we can, uh, there's one important distinction. For the people that were living in the earliest days of the church, some of them had met, even knew Jesus in the flesh. Most of them would have at least met someone who had met Jesus. And this is a closer than, what is it, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon? Many of these earliest believers were only one or two degrees separated from Jesus of Nazareth himself in the flesh. The gospel that motivated them and drew them together included, among other things, two claims that, of course, are still true to this day. Salvation in Christ means eternal life for those who are baptized and believe. And Jesus will one day return to judge the world, humanity included. Some of the earliest church heard those two ideas and thought they were imminent any day now. After all, Jesus talks about the coming judgment with an awful lot of urgency. You want to be prepared, and you want to be prepared now, and you want to stay prepared as long as it takes, no matter how far off it is, no matter how uncertain you may be about the day and the hour, you get ready now and you stay that way just in case there's a delay. And that's the message of a few parables that we've had this fall and again today. Wise bridesmaids were equipped with plenty of oil before night fell, and they stayed equipped and at the ready until the necessary time. Even though they fell asleep, they were still equipped. But being unwise meant being unprepared, and they had to leave, kind of wander off because of that lack of wisdom and lack of preparation, and then missed out on the party, the very thing that they were anticipating. Having the appropriate amount of oil is, of course, a metaphor. It's an abstraction to represent all the things Jesus tells us to do because everything Jesus calls us to do is part of preparing for Jesus' return. It's all important, and we should give it the sort of attention it deserves, if for no other reason than to emphasize just how important heeding Jesus' words is he doubles down on them. He describes the consequences of ignoring them as dire and warns that there may not be a chance to go back and fix it if you wait just a bit too long. Now, we'll look at those ideas more as we finish the chapter of Matthew along with finishing the church year over the next two weeks. But for today, let's go back to uh, Thessalonica. Paul's first letter to this church is the oldest book in the New Testament. Now, there are snippets that we looked at and that are included in later letters, and those snippets are likely older than this. But as far as completed letters in their entirety, this is as old as they get. This is in those earliest days of two degrees of separation from Jesus, and when the promises of eternal life and Jesus' return felt imminent because Jesus' calls to be ready had been urgent. So imminent eternal life, which Jesus does say begins now in this life, well, people heard that as 
Well, if you believe and are baptized, you won't die, at least not by natural causes. Some of them thought they were going to live the life they had then and there as it was forever and ever. At the same time, imminent judgment, which Jesus says could be any time, so you better be ready. Well, people heard that as they have on and off for millennia. But these people were a lot more justified in believing it. They thought Jesus would be back during their lifetime. Now, how do we reconcile those two ideas? We'll live forever as we are, but Jesus will be back during our lifetime. Well, it seems that some of them, maybe some churches, concluded that those who believe and were baptized may just live a little longer, right? Live long enough for Jesus' upcoming return. They interpreted Jesus' comment that this generation would not pass away before the day of the Lord as being about that generation as in you know, people born around the same time, that those people would all still be alive. Needless to say, things didn't turn out as they expected. I imagine that in Thessalonica, you know, there might have been a bit of a happy coincidence. Maybe they didn't experience too much death in their community after forming it, maybe for a while, a few years, maybe a decade went by, and they maintained this idea that none of them would die. But then their bubble was burst. Someone did die, and then maybe more. And after a couple of years, maybe a couple decades, the numbers grew. And it turned out to be that people were dying at about the same rate as they were anywhere else. And if their previous set of beliefs had been exactly correct, they were now faced with a troubling possibility. Those who had died were not actually saved. And the kingdom of heaven would dawn without them in it. Imagine thinking that you and your family, your friends, your neighbors, your community would live together forever. And now you figure some of them won't be there after all. And it's anyone's guess who else will be left out. What now? And that certainly doesn't seem like good news. At least not as good as it was. Well, when something that feels central to your faith, at the core of what you believe, turns out to be wrong, there are a few ways people respond. A crisis of faith, perhaps. Maybe they lose faith or really struggle with it for a while. A reevaluation could be in order. Or we could just sort of carry on as we were and sweep the discrepancy under the rug. All three of those happen. I imagine all three happened in Thessalonica. All three certainly happened when our almost modern-day preachers turned out to be wrong in their predictions. Well, Paul has a response to each of them. He corrects where their beliefs were misplaced, comforts them with further good news, and gives them confidence to carry on with their life together as they had been before. As they had observed, people in the faith can and will die like anyone else. What's different for us is what's in store for the future and what that good news means for us now. Paul brings in an image that was familiar to those in this and other ancient empires. And we'll see it on Palm Sunday, which is just, you know, well, it's a bit ahead of where we are in Matthew, but <laughs> a ways off in our church here. Uh, just like we see on Palm Sunday, when a king, like Jesus, arrives, a delegation is sent ahead 
to prepare the way. In that case, lay the leaves, prepare the ride, right, the steed, and so on. And while that is happening, a portion of the citizenry goes out to meet the king outside the gates. And then all of them enter together as a testimony to the grandeur of that king. Just look how many loyal subjects he has. It's something other rulers had done in and around that area, and Jesus tapped into that imagery. Now, we saw this in Daniel. He'd already uh, used the first half of this idea in prophetic fashion when talking about the coming of the Son of Man. He would enter by way of the heavens. His gateway would be the sky rather than a traditional gate. Revelation tapped into the same by describing the new Jerusalem inhabited by God as descending from the sky. The angels told the onlookers at Jesus' ascension that he would return the same way that he left. So the groundwork is all there for where to look when Jesus returns and what to expect. But for those in a crisis of faith, it can be easy to lose sight of these things or fail to put the pieces together. Jesus will return from the clouds, and like a king is greeted at the gates, Jesus' people would join him in the sky and metaphorically march with him back to earth in his grand entrance as a testimony to the glory of God. Now, Paul adds to this to comfort and correct those Thessalonians who were worried about their lost loved ones, that the moment of resurrection will be the very same moment that Jesus returns. Those who died to the Lord would rise and join with the living in greeting the Lord, and neither would have special preference. So do not grieve as those who have no hope, he writes, because when Jesus returns, all of this happens at once. We are raised from the dead, we're gathered in greeting Jesus, and his everlasting reign on earth begins right then as well. As Paul puts it, we will be with him together forever. Hard not to tack on amen there, right? <laughs> so that's the good news. Even though Jesus wasn't coming back during their day and hasn't come back in anyone else's day, not yet, the good news is no matter how long it's been, whether you're alive or dead, when the time comes, we're all going up together. Now, real quick at the end here, because it bears mentioning whenever this comes up. I mentioned before, up top, how some of our American preachers concocted these ideas that contradicted Jesus and made predictions about how and when judgment would come. Even though they all turned out to be wrong, some of the traditions linger and some of the ideas even more so. That includes dispensationalism, that the nature of God's relationship with the world, if not God's nature entirely, has changed at different times throughout creation, usually in response to something people do. That opens up the possibility that the relationship and or nature can and will change again, and therefore opens up the possibility of a judgment day that contradicts Jesus and flies in the face of most of Scripture. So, once you've got that in place, with some very careful cherry-picking of verses and not-so-careful tossing out of the rest of them, they came up with theories. Theories about millennialism, as in how will this thousand-year reign mentioned in Revelation play out or not? 
Will it be before or after these events? Has it already happened? Is it not going to actually happen at all? Something that's hotly debated in some circles. And most of these theories include an idea called the rapture. Now, you've heard of that, right? Because you've heard of Left Behind. You know who Kirk Cameron and Nicolas Cage are. Perhaps because this idea is almost exclusive to American Christians of the past century and change, it's somehow very well known in our context. And frankly, it's just made up. There's no such thing. The rapture is anti-biblical. It's built on a foundation of cherry-picked verses and bad theology and, frankly, lies. Lies because, historically, many of those who wanted to convince their communities that the end was coming and use these sorts of theories also very often wanted those communities to surrender their resources. This was a common, dishonest ploy to get people into cults, communes. The two pivotal texts read with this particular lens to try and justify the idea of the rapture, well, the first is what we just heard. 1 Thessalonians 4, being called up in the air to be with Christ forever, is interpreted and visualized sometimes as floating up and being gone forever. See what I mean about contradicting Christ and being anti-biblical? By that logic, 1 Thessalonians would suggest that Jesus doesn't actually return to the earth at all. But if you've seen those movies, you know they typically don't go up in the sky. They just disappear. They aren't actually called up when raptured. That's from another pivotal text, and the word rapture from the King James translation of a text in Matthew where you know two people are out milling grain and one's gone and the other remains, and that's all there is to it. So in order to bring the idea in that some will disappear and some will be left behind, well, we now need to contradict all those sources from earlier that suggested we will be able to see Jesus in the flesh coming down physically from the heavens. And ironically, now ignore the first pivotal text that said we'd be physically meeting him up in the sky. It is not an idea that holds up to scrutiny. It barely makes any sense at all. It makes for interesting fiction, I suppose, but there's nothing about the rapture or even millennialism more broadly that can be reconciled with the actual scriptures. And that's before we remember that Jesus set the example and called us to follow that we endure the hardship of the world for the sake of others. But if you believe that God can suddenly change and our relationship with God can suddenly fundamentally change, well, then you might just accept that God would instead pull all the believers out, spare them from suffering, and put the rest of the world through that tribulation instead. The tribulation. <clears throat> as in the great ordeal, as in the thing we heard about in the reading from Revelation last week, <clears throat> and what Revelation said was the saints were those who went through the ordeal. Not that they were plucked out and spared from it. I'm telling you, nothing contradicts these ideas like the cited scriptures themselves. Okay, I'm done. Long story short, if you heard some resonance with the idea of a rapture in our First Thessalonians reading from today, that's because they do use that text but it doesn't hold up. That's not what's going to happen.
So Jesus says we don't know the day or the hour. We're not going to know exactly what it's going to look like either, but we can make a few statements about what it's not going to look like. In any event, stay awake. Be prepared. Because Jesus is coming. Amen.